The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which is read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God, our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus is giving a lesson on the cost of being a disciple. The word disciple literally means follower. But the problem is, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. The problem is, is in our culture, that word doesn't quite have the same meaning. To be a follower in the ancient culture meant that if if, you're, if you're, the person you're discipling went down Main Street, you went down Main Street. In fact, by the way, any of you who are doing the scooping the loop, whoever was the leader, that's about, that's pretty much, that's following. That's what it was in the age of culture, except for you were on foot. So imagine you're scooping the loop, you're on foot, and you're just walking around. And that is, that's what it meant to follow. They went left, you went left. You, they went right, you went right. And they stopped to get a sandwich, you stopped too. You may not have gotten to the sandwich, but you stopped where they were. And the reason was, was because in ancient times, when you went to education, wasn't done in a classroom. You weren't in a room sitting in desks and listened to, listening as the, the teacher taught whatever. Instead, you walked wherever the teacher was going so that whatever they said, you heard it. In other words, follower, the better understanding is disciple means student. To be a disciple of Socrates was to be a student of Socrates. So like Plato was a disciple of Socrates. To be a disciple of Jesus was to be a student of Jesus. That meant you heard every word that came from his mouth. But you know, but there's many churches throughout our country that are going to are telling you this very hour, this very day, that if you become a disciple of Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you have enough faith, you put enough money in the offering plate, you do this, you do that, then you won't, you're, you won't get sick. In fact, if you're sick, you'll get better the more prayers you put forward. Or you're, you'll have no difficulties in your life. And in fact, you might get really wealthy. You might get a lot of money. But what does Jesus... When that first person in our text says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was not Jesus saying, hey, can you give me a place to stay, buddy? No, he is telling you, hey, you're going to follow me. Don't expect to be comfortable. In fact, he's telling him you're going to be less comfortable than the animals if you follow him. Don't expect wealth. Do not expect a wonderful life on this earth if you follow him. And again, he said, somebody said, says, he says to another, follow me. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now on surface, that sounds harsh. But this guy, this isn't a case where the father just died and the, per, the funeral is that week. 
No, this is a case where the person is still, the father is still alive and actually probably has several years before they die. In other words, he's really saying, you know, I don't have the time right now. I have to take my father, I have to be with my father and do the things he needs me to do. And then when he's died and I buried him, then I could follow you. In other words, you read between the lines, I don't have time right now to follow you, Jesus. And again, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Now again, and then Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now in our Old Testament reading, Elisha desired to say goodbye to people, and Elijah allowed it. The difference is this man is not just wanting to just say, hey, I'm going to go follow this Jesus guy. I'll see you later. It was, he wants to go through all the long and arduous steps you have to go through to properly say goodbye to someone. In other words, again, he was not quite ready to go there. So you often hear people say that Jesus demands that you put him first in, his, in your life. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus demands more than that. See, now, I'm in a sense that could be true. It depends on how you understand first. But a lot of times when we think, okay, God first, family second, country third, you know, that's kind of the standard order. Usually what we think about, that, okay, this... All right, this is God time, this is family time, this is country time, this is work time, etc., etc. God does not demand to be just first. He demands to be always. In other words, when you are serving your family, you are serving God. When you serve your country, you are serving God. And by the way, that means how you serve your family and how you serve your country should be reflective of the fact that you are serving God. Which means if your country decides to ask you something, to do something that's contrary to God's will, you say no. And if your family says to you to do something or, or demands something of you that's contrary to God's law, again, you say no. Everything you do, God demands every minute of you. He demands all of you. And the re there's a reason. It's because to follow Jesus. Now, you're talking about following in ancient times. So they're following them where they go. Where is Jesus heading? Begins in that text. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's where it leads. To follow Jesus leads to the cross. The demand of a Christian is not just that you sacrifice of your time, even though we know very well in our culture, in our day and age, in our lives, it is very, very easy for us to come up with excuses. Why, do, why did you not attend worship on a given Sunday? What's the reason you neglected to hear his word? Why have you neglected to receive the Lord's Supper? We tend to have all sorts of reasons beyond health reasons or 
freezing cold or really bad blizzards or something like that, which is not a problem today. But we come up with all sorts of reasons as to why we can't come. And I'm going to let you on a secret. 99% of them are not good reasons. Or perhaps, or even we come up with reasons as to why we don't spend time studying God's word. You know, realistically, I've heard of one church, because members weren't attending Bible class, their, their sermons are now 45 minutes because people aren't going to Bible class. Well, the sermon's going to turn into a, turns into a Bible class. But the fact is that every single pastor in this country is struggling with that, that people are not taking time to spend in God's word. And yes, as a Christian, to be a disciple means to hear every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's why, you, that's why Bible confirmation, when you, get, you go stand up in front of the church and you say your confirmation vows, you are not done learning about your faith. The point when you can stop learning is when you're in a casket. Then we'll let you off the hook. But up until then, you're supposed to be in God's word. Learning the fullness of the scriptures every point of your, whenever you have opportunity. I mean, if even once every other week at least, you should be, at, be attending Bible class somewhere. Because I'm going to let you know, Sunday morning, we don't have enough time in a sermon to go through the fullness of scriptures. Some, what, what reasons do you have for not being in your Bible at home? You have acts, we in our culture have incredible access to the scriptures. Which, by the way, if you're wondering why you go to Bible class in addition to that, it's because you're not supposed to read the scripture on an island. You're supposed to learn it in community. In community with your fellow believers. When you learn it exclusively by yourself, that's usually when you fall into heresy. You've, you walk along the community and the history of the church, and you learn together. Notice most of the books of the Bible were written to churches, especially in the New Testament. But anyways, what our Bible, you have access to it on your phones. You have access to it. In your, on your computer, you have access to it that is unknown of any age in the history of the world. And yet, I'll bet you for many, it's been quite a few weeks before since a Bible has even been opened. What reasons do we have to neglect this? What reasons do we come up with to neglect to pray? To pray before we eat? Pray when we wake up? Pray when we go to sleep? What are the excuses that we give to not follow Jesus? In our, cult, in our culture, in our community, there's so many things vying for our time, demanding of us. Our jobs, our families, our schools, our athletics. All things attend. Here's a simple challenge. If it comes down to church... In a school or athletic and related event, who wins? They'll tell you who your God is. 
tells you how we are like this crowd that Jesus was talking to. We too struggle with what it means to follow Jesus. And the reason he demands this, that you give up everything for him, is because if you were to be bold, a disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus, but to follow Christ to the cross, means that you're also professing it. You're speaking the gospel. You're speaking of Jesus to others. And the bolder you are, the louder of a disciple you are, the more you will suffer. Because what comes with being a disciple of Jesus is suffering. Yesterday was the feast of St. Peter and St. Paul. It's marked that because traditionally, June 29th, 64 AD, is marked as the day that the Apostle Paul was beheaded. And it's also for that reason the voice of martyrs marks it as the day of the martyr. I was actually reading a story about a woman and her family. They're missionaries in Afghanistan. They went there in 2002. And they had been there for quite some time. And they said it was quite difficult. Especially since the Taliban is in control, was in control when they first got there. Well, two years ago, she was working at the clinic. And the news had been circulating that the Taliban was probably going to attack their clinic. And they were wrong. It didn't attack the clinic. It attacked the compound where they had been living. And so the mother was on her inner car on the way to the compound, and as she got closer, she saw the building on fire. And she would later find out that her son, her 15-year-old son and 17-year-old daughter, were killed with AK-47s. The building was burned to the ground after one of the members of the Taliban exploded himself. And there's also an RPG that was shot at the building. This, they were killed, they were targeted because they were Christians. Because they were there proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now it's easy for people to get mad and say, oh, they're Muslims. But if you go with that line, first off, Did you notice what Jesus said in reaction to James and John when he said, let's cast fire upon them? Jesus rebuked them. If you want vengeance on Muslims for persecution of Christians, Jesus would rebuke you too, just as he did James and John. And you'd also conveniently miss the Muslims who are trying to save the people in that building. Because there were Muslim police officers. To be a Christian means to be persecuted. To be a disciple of Christ means to be hated by the world. The bolder you are, the more your faith will be attacked. So why do we stand up? Why why do we carry that cross? Is it so that God would love us? No. See, notice, we're not leaving Jesus. We're following him. Because he first carried the cross. He first carried the cross to Golgotha. He first 
was nailed to that cross. He first died on that cross for you. He suffered everything that the world would throw at him. Every form of torture, physical, mental, even sexual, because he was stripped. Every form of torture known to man was laid on him for you. That you may have life. That you may have life in his name. That every sin that you have ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, was washed clean. That in the waters of baptism, when you hear, and then I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, every sin has been washed away. You receive a new identity. You are made a child of God, an heir of paradise. When you receive the Lord's Supper, when you receive the bread, which is the body of Jesus, when you receive the wine, which is the blood of Jesus, you receive forgiveness. You receive the strength to endure this world, to walk through this world, and you get a taste of heaven. I don't know if you ever noticed this in a lot of our old hymns. It talks about, it talks about a portal. And the reason is, is when you come up to this altar, sometimes it's talked about the altar as being almost like the portal to heaven. When you come and you receive the sacrament, you are united to eternity. You get a taste of eternal life. You get a taste of God's kingdom. That is why we follow. Because Christ's cross, and by the way, we're not really following. He's more, it's more like he's dragging us, but anyways. So don't want to think, well, I made the decision to follow Jesus. Actually, he did, and he, he hooked you, and he's pulling you along. But, and you're just by consequence following. But we follow Jesus because it leads to his everlasting kingdom. And we carry that cross, and we speak of him. Because so that others may hear and they may follow us, which would ultimately mean they are following him. Until the day comes when he returns in his glory to Christ, to be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.